Hey, thank you so much for joining us on the chat room. It's a CMG production. I am your host, Connor Valentine. I appreciate you tuning in to another new podcast. But wait, hold on now. This one's going to be a little bit different. I know you've heard that before, but on this particular show, we're going to be focusing on podcasters and YouTubers, and we're going to be giving them A-list treatment that they really deserve. Because Lord knows they don't get paid like an A-lister. You know, it's kind of messed up that we live in a world where Kylie Jenner is a billionaire. And Harry Mack, the amazing freestyle rapper on YouTube, records on an iPhone 5 and drives a 2005 Scion. They say everyone these days has their own podcast, and that's pretty much true. The best way to figure out the Earth's population is to count the number of podcasts and divide by four. (laughs) Since 2016, most people don't know this, okay? Most people don't know this. But research shows that every 30 seconds in America, a man cave is converted into a podcast studio. The numbers do not lie. I promise you the numbers don't lie. The musical Hamilton has become the rage during this quarantine. They're in this this horrible pandemic. And it's kind of scary to think that that's how our homeschooled kids are going to be learning history. But, you know, it's better than nothing. There are actually a lot of really educational history-related podcasts out there. And they can give us some real perspective. Like, when I'm having a really bad day, I remember that there are people in this world whose job it is to produce a history podcast. <laughs> I mean, seriously, come on, that's a little bit miserable. I'm pretty sure that when I die, all right, we're going to go into some deep subjects here. I'm pretty sure that when I die, my ghost will not be able to cross over. And ghost me will be doomed to stay here until I've listened to the hundreds of thousands of podcasts that I promised my friend I would like and subscribe to. (laughs) Okay? And there's a whole list, whole list, and it just never stops. Never stops. They say if you give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. But teach a man to podcast... And he'll constantly ask everyone he comes across if they've checked out his new pod. (laughs) No, we haven't, Jerry. No, we haven't. You probably don't know this, but the devil himself recently started his own YouTube channel. He has a million subscribers, but he wasn't able to make a dime. Okay? His his channel was demonetized. It doesn't get any better than this, ladies and gentlemen. It does not get any better than this. If you have a YouTube channel, here's some advice. And I can't believe this isn't already happening. You'd think people would be jumping all over this. But name your child 1 million subscribers on YouTube. Then you can tell everyone that you've literally got 1 million subscribers on YouTube, literally. And they cannot take that away from you ever. All right? Glane Maxwell is in prison, and the memes are everywhere. A lot of powerful people should be extremely nervous. And of course, we all know what happened to our friend Jeffrey Epstein, who did his impression of me whenever I'm offered 30 days of YouTube premium for free. He just skipped the trial. Skip the trial. <laughs> we got a great show for you. Sarah DeMio, the host of True Crime Missing Persons podcast, Faded Out, is my guest. She has a brand new podcast coming to Clovercrest Media Podcast Network on August 12th. It's called You Don't Know Jack. She's a Jack Nicholson super fan. She's going to be going over every single movie from the very first movie he's ever done to the most recent movie he's ever done. And we're going to find out about all that and more. So thank you so much for joining us and enjoy the show. Our very first guest for the show is Ms. Sarah DeMio. Welcome. Thank you. 
So, so glad to be your first guest. Oh, I'm <laughs> really glad to have you here. Yeah. So our first question is for you is, you did a short film called Women of the Day. Yeah. And it was, I, I saw a little bit of it and mm -hmm. I found it quite interesting. But my question is, was that, was that the very first time you ever did improv? It was not the first time I ever did improv, but what was funny about that film was um, it was mostly a scripted film. But the scene that you're talking about where we did the improv in it, that was probably the most comfortable that I ever felt doing improv. Because prior to that, anytime I had attempted improv, I would just kind of freeze up. I was very nervous and very shy and did not know how to be funny in my own way or just sort of just let it go the way you're supposed to with improv. So doing that movie, that short film, that was really the one time where I felt the most comfortable, I think, doing improv. And it was really the first time that I felt that I did improv and it came across pretty decently. It looked like you were in your own element. And I'll, I'll give you this, improv is a challenge. You know, improv is, is something that you have to, it's, it's spontaneous. You have to think about it right away. And as soon as you get on the camera starts to roll, you've got to make something up as you go along. So I, I give you credit because improv is, improv is definitely a challenge. And when you were doing Women of the Year, uh, I watched some of it and it was, uh, I found the, the story to be quite intriguing. Thank you. I appreciate that. So when you were doing, what was your inspiration for Woman of the Day? Well, I was, I started as a filmmaker and I wanted to, you know, I had all these big aspirations. Like I want to be a filmmaker. I want to win an Oscar one day and do things like that. Um, I had actually attended the New York Film Academy and uh, got to learn how to create a story and things like that. And I think Women of the Day was meant to be very pro-feminine, very pro-women, um, celebrating just uh, friendships that women have with each other and just sort of the way that we connect with each other. And I think I was inspired to do that by um, a documentary that I did uh, the year before which was on uh, an event that a musician friend of mine, Jennifer Hill, puts together every year called Swan Day here in Connecticut. And it's a very pro-women, uh, lifting up women's voices, uh, women in music, women in art, um, things like that. And so I think I was sort of still riding the high, so to speak, of being at Swan Day because that doing that documentary was my first year being at Swan. So I wanted to sort of keep that momentum going. So I decided to write a short script about um, just two women who were friends and different things that uh, that women talk about. Um, and so that was what Women of the Day came from. Uh, it's sort of uh, d just sort of the continuation of wanting to lift up women's voices. And that was, you know, a year later, we had the short film Women of the Day. Now, this wasn't the only film that you had worked on. You had also worked on some previous films before. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, I, I did um, uh, Swan Day CT as a documentary I did in 2010. Uh, prior to that, I did a couple of other ones. Um, uh, I had a production company called Hell's Bells Productions. And so one of my first 
films, I would say my second film uh, with Hell's Bells uh, was I got together this uh, group of um, actors, like college age actors, like people who were around my age at the time. And I was into uh, Saturday Night Live a lot at the time, like, especially especially like old school, I, I, like from the 1970s with Gilda Radner and um, John Belushi. And I, you know, um, Eddie Murphy. I, I loved Eddie Murphy, too. He was after the 70s, but he was he was great, too. Well, he was the 80s. Come yeah, on. he was like 1982, I want to say. Um, but I really loved old school Saturday Night Live. So I wanted to make a film that was sort of the same kind of sketch comedy as Saturday Night Live was. And so we, uh, this group of actors and I got together and made a film called uh, Hell's Bells Presents. And it was supposed to be this sort of sketch comedy full length movie um, with some musical performances in it too. So that was my first attempt at making a feature length film. And then after that uh, was the Swan Day CT documentary. And um, it was really the, the Swan Day documentary and then Women of the Day a year after that those were the ones that really started to um, get seen by people um, that, you know, got into a couple of festivals, didn't get into all the festivals that I submitted to, but there was um, an indie film festival out in Ohio that we drove out to. And we thought that was just so cool to have an audience beyond Connecticut. Um, did another short film the year after that, very short film, uh, got into a, a couple of more film festivals. So it was really a, really a cool time to be able to experiment with stuff like that. Now, I imagine that the short films that you made, uh, Hell's Bells Presents, Women of the Day, I imagine these got some pretty positive reception. It did. I remember when uh, the festival that I just mentioned, um, the Indie Gathering, out in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, Women of the Day got into that. So my co-star and I drove out to Ohio for the festival that year. And uh, surprisingly, our we had a pretty packed audience for when our film screened and got a really nice reception, like got a, a uh, great laughs, uh, all the funny parts. Like everybody laughed at the moments that we wanted them to laugh. Hopefully, they didn't laugh at the parts that they weren't supposed to or, laugh no, at. I think that, yeah, yeah, I think that, that the laughs were all at the right time. So, I uh, got a really positive reception. I got to um, stand up in front of the audience and do a little Q&A right after. And people were really into it. They were asking me questions. And then, like, people started throwing out sort of suggestions like, oh, you guys should do this or you should try this. And one person said, you guys should should try a web series. And, you know, you, you got to you got to continue these characters. And so we were like, wow, you know, people seem to really like this. Maybe there's maybe there's something there. Maybe we should. Maybe we should keep going with this. Well, what's nice is that you can get two things out of that. The first one is that you can listen to parts of the audience and say, hey, this is what the this is what the people who are watching this are looking for in future content. And then take some of what they want and put it into your future into yeah. your future films. And that's always good. And the second thing is that that positive reception I always find is a, is a really great fuel source to continue 
your your pro your projects and to continue your work. It's really inspiring too. It makes you feel like you're on the right track, that you're you're doing the right thing, and it's a, a really good, um, just a, a really good indicator, I guess, of what you should be doing next. Uh, if if something works, if something doesn't work, and it just it it felt really good in that moment to to know that this film that I had an idea for uh, would a year later, people would be positing, uh, having, having a positive reaction to it. Oh, absolutely. And now you've done a little more than just um, film directing. You've also worked for a while over at Fox. You've I did over at Fox 61 here uh, in Connecticut. It's in Hartford. Um, I worked on the production crew. I've been there. I'm still there. Uh, and I've worked there for a little over a year now. And that was a cool experience to have um, because I got to actually see uh, what local news is like to actually be there in the studio. Um, well, there's a big difference between the national Fox News and mm -hmm. some of the local Fox News, like Fox 61. Yeah. I find when I watch Fox News and I watch Fox 61, big difference. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, because um, – and we tell people, too, that, um, you know, Fox 61 – it's not really the the Fox News that's that's widely known. Like Fox sixty one, mm -hmm. on, that's that's the Simpsons and Family Guy and and Bob's Burgers. That's that's that station. Okay, that's that realm. Fox. That's that Fox. Okay, a whole different realm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I gotta ask, working at Fox sixty one, what was the most interesting part? Oh, okay. God, you put me on the spot. Um, we can always move on to another question. Well, let me think for a second. Um, I guess the, the most interesting thing was whenever there was any kind of breaking news, you had to uh, fall into place, just, you know, go from doing nothing to it being totally quiet in the studio to like, okay, you know, got we got breaking news from, you know, Hartford or Middletown or whatever town that, you know, breaking news is happening. We got to we got to get on the air and, you know, everybody falls into place like people know where to go when they're in the control room. You know, the person doing the prompter has to get to their spot like the we have to mic up the, the news anchors. And it's like there's a whole process of everything goes from being quiet to everybody suddenly on the move. So it's, yeah. it's almost like an experience where you have to be ready in an instantaneous notice where you're going from a maybe more of a relaxed kind of scene to if there's breaking news, you got to yeah. right into it. Yeah, you gotta you gotta know what you're doing. It's almost yeah. like setting up toy soldiers, I think. You know, they're they're all over the place and they're doing their own thing. And then when the the kid wants to play with them, he sets them all up right where they're supposed to mm -hmm. be. I don't know if it's a really good comparison, but yeah. that's the first thing that I thought of. But yeah, but I would say so. It's got you got to know you have to know you have to know what you're doing. You have to know what goes where and um, if. You know, there it's very easy to panic in a situation like that if it's like, oh, we're going on the air in 10 seconds. Um, it's, you know, it's a controlled panic. You got to just like, okay, this is what I, this is my job. This is what I have to do. And you got to just kind of compartmentalize and um, just be ready for whatever can happen at, at a, on any given day. Absolutely. You talk about breaking stories. You talk about the high intensity of the, of the room. And everybody going into a certain place. Did you have a particular favorite story? Did you have a particular favorite breaking news coverage that you had to do? Let me 
think. Um, Cause there's been like, obviously this being 2020 there's been a lot of news going on this year. I think probably the most interesting story uh, was uh, earlier this year, anything that had to do uh, with Jennifer Dulos, who uh, she was a mother who a mother of five who had gone missing I heard, yeah. last year. And uh, at the beginning of this year, uh, the husband who uh, was accused in the case, Fotis Dulos, um, uh, he committed suicide. And that was a huge story uh, because uh, these people were from Connecticut. They were from Farmington. So that was obviously a huge story. Um, and probably that that day... Uh, that we got word that Fotis Dulos had uh, committed suicide and or attempted suicide. He died like a day later. Um, that was that was probably um, the the biggest story, I would say. I remember when that story came out. Yeah. And I remember I was sitting around with a few friends of mine, and we were all wondering what's going to happen next. Yeah. It was a big story. Yeah. And it was very sad. It was very sad about that story. And and. Uh, you know, I, I remember when we heard it on the news, everybody it was, felt kind of silent in the room because it, it's a horrific thing that happened. Yeah. And when we heard the next day that he had he did what he did, I mean, it was it really was just it was a crazy story. It was a crazy story. Yeah. And, you know, I, I hope I hope that all goes well for them. You know, yeah, it's a tough story. But you've done more than just Fox News, and you've done more than film directing. She has also done. Um, podcasts, and she has a new podcast yep. coming out, uh, Mr. Mio, which is You Don't Know Jack About Jack Nicholson, yep. which is going to be, she, the show starts on August 12th, and new episodes are going to be coming out every single Wednesday. Now, what's your least favorite Jack Nicholson movie? My least favorite that's Jack Nicholson That's a weird question to start <laughs> off with. I know, I'm thinking like, oh, that's a weird yeah. question to start off with, but... What do you think? Um, I mean... Mars Attacks is not, maybe not the best movie, <laughs> but I think a lot of people are in agreement with that, that Mars Attacks is a little, uh, it's a little out there. Yeah. It's a, uh, what's going on here? Um, and, then, and there, there's other movies that they're, they're well-made movies, but they're just not movies that I can really relate to. Like I have trouble getting into Westerns. And Jack has actually done a number of, of Westerns. Um, there's a really, really early on in his career, there's a B-movie Western uh, called The Broken Land, which I'm going to get into it when we're doing the podcast. Um, but it took me some time to really sort of uh, get into the story. And I do that when, when I have trouble relating to a setting i guess it takes me a little extra work to to relate to the characters too i think yeah now i remember reading about this you're going to be doing this all in numerical order based off of his first movie up into his most recent which was 1958 to 2010 yes ah, i got yep, it yep. i got it yeah so he's got a uh you know almost 60 year career right there very long and I, I I've I've seen every single one of Jack's movies at this point because I consider myself the Jack super fan. Um, I I love Jack Nicholson. I've 
pretty much been in love with him since I was 12 years old. And um, I, I wanted to do this podcast because like, I love podcasting. Podcasting, I think is my favorite. Well, I don't think I know that podcasting is my favorite medium out of any type of broadcasting because I've tried my hand in all of them. I've worked in TV production. I've uh, worked in movie making. It's the real one that yeah. draws you in. Yeah, that is the one that I really felt that I found my niche and that I really enjoyed doing. Um, and this would be the one that is just, for me, just, just a fun experience. Because especially it's talking about movies that I've seen about an actor that I love and um, just going through his entire career and putting my spin on it too. Out of all of your, out of all the Jack Nicholson movies that have ever been, do you have a favorite quote from any of his movies? Well, I think an obvious quote would probably be the here's Johnny from the shining. Oh yeah. Because um, I don't know if the camera can see my leg. <laughs> There's Jack's face from The Shining, if you can see that. Well, that just goes to show how much you like that. Yeah. Oh, huh? Yeah. And I guess out of all his movies, that one would be my favorite. That was um, the one that made me really uh, love him and love his work when I saw it when I was 12. So there's obviously that one. But there's a lot of great quotes, too, from because uh, he's done a lot of movies like he has this great speech in the courtroom scene in A Few Good Men. Um, there's another great quote, too, from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, where, you know, he's talking to the other patients in the institution and he's, you know, he's saying to them, um, you know, you guys uh you're what do you think you are you're crazy or something well you're not you're no you're no you're no more crazy than the average asshole out there walking around <laughs> anyway and it's just yeah. they're really and you know five easy pieces uh, he's got another great monologue in there too so they're 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 all so different and um there's just a lot to pick from i guess do you prefer his earlier works or his later works you know, that's a really that's really hard because I feel like in his career, especially the 1970s uh, were a different time than the 1980s. And then the work he did in the 1990s, um, I, I think that his really early work when he first had his breakthrough role uh, uh, in Easy Rider um, it's sort of a, it, it's, there's a different mentality just in those different right. times in history too. Like 1969, Easy Rider, um, that's, you know, the, the, the Vietnam era, which, you know, you're talking about like, you know, hippies and free love. And oh, yeah. that was very much the attitude then. But then, you know, you get into the 80s where he, uh, where they started to, make different kinds of movies too. Like there's a, a movie that he's in, in 1981, which was a remake of uh, an old 1930s movie, uh, The Postman Always Rings Twice. And The Postman Always Rings Twice, the, the, the remake that Jack is in, um, is kind of considered 
the first erotic thriller because, you know, sort of uh, setting the stage for movies like um, Body Heat and uh, Basic Instinct and things like that, because um, it's got some, uh, you know, uh, some love scenes in it and, um, you know, gets a little graphic at certain points, but it's all very much part of the story. It's like the story is supposed to be heated. The story is supposed to be about it's passionate and it's sex. And that was sort of one of the movies that set the stage for that era of filmmaking. So it's very hard to, I think, pick one era over the next. But I would say, to answer the question, um, I would say, I think early, I think his earlier work maybe. I think his earlier work is what I'm going to have to go with. I got a question for you. Okay. I'm a huge, huge DC fan. Okay. DC is my life. DC is my life. Yeah. You know exactly what I'm about. I know where you're going. 1989 Joker. Yeah. Yes. I love the the Joker, obviously, because that's, you know, that funny story. That's the first movie of his, of Jack's that I ever saw. And I actually got to see it in the theater when I was five years old. Wow. Yeah. What was it like? That was an experience for yeah. it to be. I mean, you know, cause most of us have seen Batman with Jack Nicholson and Michael Keaton. So imagine being five years old in a movie theater, seeing that, you know, it's kind of like the first, Real serious Batman movie. Yeah, you know, it's because you know the '60s had uh, Adam it's West. Like a very campy. Yeah, That's what I was gonna say. Of, yeah, campy. Um, but and funny story about that though is, you know, that was certainly the first uh, Jack Nicholson movie that I'd ever seen, and I had never really seen any more of his movies up until when I was twelve, when I saw The Shining. Um, so it, I think like that period of between that, like when I was five, when I saw Batman up until I was 12, when I saw The Shining, whenever I would see Jack Nicholson somewhere, whether it was in a magazine or on TV or something like that, it always felt very strange to me to see him not in Joker makeup. If that was the very first movie I saw, if I had just seen the Joker movie, like that was the first one, anything past that, I would be the same way. I'd be like, yeah. why are you not wearing clown yeah, makeup? Yeah, what the like, heck's going on? Yeah, like, what, like that's not what you look like. What you, what you, what are you doing? That's not, what, that's not your face. See, that, that's exactly how I would feel. Yeah. If you want more about Jack Nicholson history, the movies, and anything Jack Nicholson related, definitely go check out You Don't Know Jack about Jack Nicholson. Again, it's going to be starting August 12th, and it's going to be airing every single Wednesday. This is Sarah DeMio. Thank you for joining us for our first show. I'm glad to be here. This is the chat room where you have podcasters and YouTubers, and we make them look like A-list stars. Thank you for joining us. We'll catch you soon.